What up, everybody? This is uh, former WCW wrestler Eric Paris, and you're watching the Insider's Edge podcast. Has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California Fury. Great to be with you all once again. I know I say the same lines as I start the show every single time. I hope it's not too tiresome for you all, but this is my shtick now and I'm sticking to it. And I, I'm real excited here tonight uh, and today for my guest. Uh, as usual, most people on this show are on the other side of the world. Uh, I'm very excited to talk to this guy because I want to learn about his story. I don't want to just know of his story from a Wikipedia article. I need to get the word from his mouth directly. He is none other than the incomparable one and only Air Paris. How you going, bro? Hey man, that's that's a big intro. Thank you for it. Uh, uh, hopefully, I can live up to to at least some of that. Well done, sir. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no worries, bro. Um, so I, I I wanted to ask you, as we usually ask everyone on the show, how did you become a wrestling fan when you were a young guy? Uh, it's one of those things where I had a uh, a great grandfather who uh, was one of those old school Southern wrestling fans, you know, he would sit in the, in the old chair right there in front of the television with his overalls on and chewing tobacco. And, and he would just, uh, as he would watch wrestling, he would get up and he would yell at the heels and he was one of those guys, you know? So um, as a kid that, that naturally draws your attention towards the television. And, and we all know memories can be a little bit foggy or hazy or, or whatever, but uh, as best I can remember, it was the rock and roll express were on TV and, and these guys were just rock stars, you know, um, that that's the first memory I have of pro wrestling. I'm sure there was, there was things other, you know, here and there, but that's the one that kind of sticks out to me. Yeah, fair enough. So some memories when you're young get lost in 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 time. Uh, I remember the one moment I I first ever saw wrestling. I've I've told this story before, but um, the, my dad was flicking through the TV channels at my great grandmother's house, and all of a sudden, and I don't know why this is in Australia, but WCW was on TV, and I saw Ron Simmons give two guys a double clothesline, and I about jumped out of my seat. And would you would you say for you it would be the same feeling? You see it for the first time, and immediately it's like, whoa! Like uh, you're already hooked straight away. Yeah, pro wrestling's one of those those weird things. It's like a great song, you know. Uh, at first ten seconds, it either has you or it doesn't. Um, you know, because if if the first ten seconds of a song's not good, I'm I'm clicking to the next one, yeah. and that's kind of the way it is with pro wrestling. I think too, it, you either get it or you don't, and the people who do get it, um, they get it for life and then they're basically just uh like, like me and you just lifelong fans man yep absolutely bro and I, I know all about those people that don't get it i had a girlfriend back in the day uh she'd never seen wrestling so i showed her some wrestling actually i showed her a rob van dam jerry lynn uh, match because i thought she'd be like wow. Oh, wow and she just looked yeah. at the screen just blankly going i don't get it it's safe to say that relationship didn't last much longer. Uh, <laughs> if, if you if you don't get those two guys, then you just, there's no getting it. I don't think you know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay, so you you get hooked as a fan when you're younger, but uh, at some point in the '90s, I guess you make a decision. You know what? 
I want to do this. I, I'd like to find a way to train. What's your first step being going from fan, trying to figure out this part, you know, in the nineties, it's very difficult to get in the business at that point. Well, it's, it's sort of a, it's one of those stories, Chris Harris, uh, he tells me I, I'm, I'm reaching for my first match story a little bit, but so my sister was married to a local guy who was uh, in, in, nobody you've ever heard of. Um, but um, when I was about eight years old, he began training and you know how it is when you start, you know, get around the business. Uh, it it kind of just takes up all your time, sort of starts to consume you. So at eight years old, I was always that little kid who got to hang around um, training sessions and, and they would have local shows. And I, you know, I was, uh, I was, I guess, annoying enough that, and, and persistent enough that I got to, to start getting music for the guys or, or do this or that and just kind of got to be around. So um, then I would, I would jump in the ring and I would climb the top ropes, you know, eight, nine years old, that, that little brat, that, that little pest was me. Um, and, you know, I started, started trying to take bumps uh, and then they realized, Hey, you know, if we want to do a show a suplex, we can just pick this kid up, you know, and, and he could post. So um, <laughs> at that point, it, yeah, it, I don't recommend, I would, I wouldn't let my nine-year-old get in the ring. Well, uh, I take that back. She's been in a WWE ring with AJ, but I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't let my kid get in the ring with a bunch of outlaw wrestlers to, uh, to start taking suplexes um, at nine years old. Um, fast forward, I was, uh, 14, September 25th, 1993, um, in a little town here close to where I was born and raised, um, called Gore, G-O-R-E, Georgia, um, named after Rhino's finish, obviously. Yeah. Um, and they needed somebody to, to, to just be basically a, in a squash, just a warm body. And they, they had a mask and threw that to me. And I think I wore some Zubaz and a t-shirt or about five shirts. And I, I think I had maybe some, some wrestling shoes or something like that. So that was, that was my first mat match as Chris Harris would call it. <laughs> That's crazy, bro. So you were 14. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Good God. Yeah. 93. So, so uh, this will blow your mind a little bit. So uh, I've wrestled in the nineties, the two thousands, 2010s and 2020s. How many is that? Nine. That's old wrestler brand. <laughs> mind i'm in four or five four or five decades you're in, you're in four now, decades so. there that's uh that's, that's a that's a yeah. 40 year career bro uh. <laughs> <laughs> and i'll and, and and so i'll be 42 in uh on the 11th whatever however many i don't know when this will air but on may 11th i turned 42 and i wrestled in four decades amazing bro um <laughs> it's insane <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as I was doing my research for the interview, obviously I have to go to Wikipedia and a lot of the time Wikipedia could be wrong with certain things as I've found in a lot of past interviews that I've done, um, even to the point where I've actually, I've got a Wikipedia account and I edit the uh, pages for people so it can be more correct. But uh, I, I, I'm, I'm judging from your Wikipedia article, it says uh, you're, Official official debut was uh, April twentieth ninety six. You make your debut under the ring name Kid Ego, uh, and you tagged with a guy called Mark Payne and lost to Dusty Dotson and Nasty Critter. Love those two names in a tag match for <laughs> North Georgia Wrestling Alliance. Is that true? Uh, I, I'm assuming that match did happen. Uh, all all of those participants are people that I worked around and with. Uh, Dusty was a, he, he went on to work in NWA Wildside with us as Silky Boom Boom. I don't know if you saw him uh, in Wildside for a bit. Um, the Nasty Critter was a, he was a local, uh, just a local guy, um, was part of a tag team. They wore like trash suits, 
like trash guy suits and hit people with trash cans. Just really, really good, solid, independent wrestlers. Just uh, never got past that that sort of level. Um, Mark Payne was a big guy, had a lot of talent, could do some insane stuff. But uh, that match did happen. Was definitely it was probably uh, my North Georgia uh, wrestling debut, but not my actual first first match. Yeah, Wikipedia is quite incorrect on some stuff for me. I think it has me. Um, born in 1977, and it's actually 79. But there's some ring names there that I've I've never heard of. So, um, well, were but, you, but it's it's cool. Were you known ahead, as Kid? Were you known as Kid Ego? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, in my uh, eternal search to become a, a pro wrestler, I was given that name by some somebody. I think it was the name of a song uh, by on, a band uh, called Extreme. Extreme is what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, and so I thought I was this this uh, bad little dude. I was 145 pounds, and I started <laughs> carrying a skateboard to the ring. And oh, it's thank God camera phones weren't a thing because I was just yeah. I, I I would I would cringe to even think about any of that footage resurfacing. <laughs> it's okay, bro. Like we've all been there. We've all had those, you know, early gimmicks. I suppose when you do wrestling and. Uh... <laughs> I don't think there's anything that, to be ashamed of. Uh, <laughs> well, that one's real, but I think there's one that's got my last name is Ott or something. There's there's some silly stuff in there. I'm, I, I yeah, I need to kind of maybe I may reach out to you to help me revise that. I don't know. My kiddo thinks it's super cool that Dad's got a Wikipedia. I just would like for it to be accurate. Yeah, man, I, I'd be happy to uh, fix it up for you. You just look at the article, you tell me what's wrong, and I'll make sure that it's uh, it, it becomes correct. Um, Thank you. Okay, so uh, I've got a few other things from Wikipedia. A week later, you make a singles debut in a losing effort to Mike Golden, and then you lose to a guy called Jailhouse Rocker on May 10th, 96. Yep. Um, and then you pick up your first win of your career, uh, uh, defeating Kenny D on the 21st of June. Uh, it seems like this is just from, again, my research, looking at cagematch.net. This is like your last kind of match or matches for a good three years or something like that. Um, it said that you took a bit of an absence from wrestling. Is that correct? Uh, no, actually it's not. That's when stuff really started picking up for me. Um, so let's go back. Who's that first match with? Uh, Mike Golden? Yes. Right? Uh, Mike Golden. I don't know if you, I'm, I'm sure you do. Mike Golden was the, the golden boy. Mike Golden traveled with the free birds, wrestled in, uh, world class Japan. I think he and he went to Japan and Kabashi did something and broke his neck. And that's uh, yeah. Mike was just a pro. He's one of those guys that I was I was really fortunate to get uh, the, the opportunity to work around um, right. because he's one of those guys. He, he, yeah, just I mean uh, he he was a worker. He was a pro pro wrestler. Um, one of those just uh, throwbacks, you know. Uh, um, Really, really learned a lot from Mike. Um, the Jailhouse Rocker went on to become a, a tag team partner of mine, Terry Lawler, uh, and and we're still uh, best buds to this day. He's actually, we're getting ready to go uh, go watch Widespread Panic play a few shows uh, up in New York coming up. So, yeah, uh, th those all happened. Um, that's actually when I started uh, working more. To be honest with you, I, I didn't realize that they they said I took an absence there. They uh, said three years. They said that you 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 went away and. You made a, you made your return in the NWA in '99 uh, for their, I believe, 51st anniversary show, and I'm thinking, 
How does a guy get booked after being away for three <laughs> years on the NWA's anniversary show? That's when I first started thinking, mm, I think Wikipedia might be telling me some lies here. Yeah, that the, the North Georgia uh, Wrestling Alliance, that, that little uh, kind of a territory they had, they had several towns they would run. That turned into another company called uh, the NAWA here in North Georgia. And, and we actually, we were running sometimes three, four nights a week all over, all over up here. Um, maybe the results just didn't get captured or something, but I, I did have to go and finish high school. I graduated in 97. So, uh, I was, I was still trying, still trying to be a high school kid and, and, and try to chase this whole thing about being a wrestler too. But, um, uh, you know, 99, when I linked up with, uh, or maybe late 98, when I got brought in to music city wrestling, um, I don't, I don't remember my exact date, but dates are tough I with old wrestler brain sometimes but yeah um i started working david young helped me get into uh into music city and then uh we parlayed that into working with bill barons at wildside nwa georgia and that's when um bill's one of those guys who really kind of helped me uh, start pushing towards that next level and i i owe bill to this day Right, that's cool, bro. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the I'm gonna ignore Wikipedia here and uh and just go with <laughs> <laughs> go with it. But well, uh, hey, there's there's bits of truth there. We maybe we can uh, jog my memory on some stuff out of it and find some kernels of truth. <laughs> so uh you know, during this period of time, you know, this this blank three years apparently, um <laughs> <laughs> there's actually things happening. Can you tell me about some of the hardships you might've felt like you went through during those days? You are getting to work at least several times a week. You're not just a weekend warrior that only wrestles once a month. You actually are working as much as you possibly can. What are some of the hardships for a young wrestler in the mid nineties, you know, working in, in some of these companies? Well, you, you know, the, the, the biggest thing was my size. Um, that was a time when, especially in Georgia, we had, uh, and I'll try to tab dance around this as delicate, delicately as I can. We had a lot of uh, people from a prior generation, uh, same generation as a Mike Golden, who uh, who wanted to be uh, that they relied on that old school tough guy mentality. Hey, I'm a tough guy. I'm a pro wrestler, right? Um, and they were real hesitant to ever work with somebody that was smaller. So me being a small guy, even though uh, I, I felt like I was pretty good at that point. Um, we, there was a lot of pushback from people who who thought they were um, they believed their own hype sometimes and they they just didn't want to they didn't want to sell for a kid or they didn't want to you know work with somebody and, and maybe show any weakness on their part um, trying to protect the business or themselves or whatever even though there may not have been a whole lot there to, to protect and, I, and I'm not trying to really disparage anybody I just um, it, it's all work you know. Uh, we can make some. We can make anything be believable um, and at least uh, reasonable. And and there was a lot of pushback as far as that. That was my that was my biggest thing was getting past uh, some of those uh, stereotypes of me being so small and people not wanting to do stuff. Absolutely, you know that there is a way to go about it when it, it is a bigger guy against a smaller guy. The smaller guy can use different types of evasions or uh, you know defensive type maneuvers, which can you know make the big guy slip on a banana peel. You know, uh, one case in point, you know, I saw Finn Balor wrestle uh, Brock Lesnar a few years ago. Uh, and I thought, man, like, come on, like Lesnar's going to destroy him. But Lesnar and him worked on an idea which would make it 
plausible that Finn might be possibly able to beat him. So there are ways around it, but I'm sure the mentality back then is, you know, well, when, you know, when I was a big star in, in a, in a big company, you know, when I'd wrestle someone this size, they're an enhancement talent. So I should be wrestling like it's an enhancement talent match where it's, you're, you're not on TV. You got to at least do something out there that's uh, entertaining for the people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what fun is a, is a squash match on an indie show? I mean, unless, you know, I mean, it makes no sense. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I have to say there, there were a lot of those guys from that same generation. Like I mentioned Mike Golden again, Mike was so giving, you know, Mike's a, he's six foot two, uh, wrestled everybody. I think he just posted a match where uh, uh, it was him and maybe Jim Powell, who uh, is a is a North Georgia guy as well, wrestling. I think Shawn Michaels and Paul Diamond, maybe. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. Maybe Texas All Star or something like that. Um, so I mean, he wrestled. You know, worked with everybody. Mike was one of those, and and he gets it. It's a business. Uh, it's it's a work, and he he was really really giving as far as that goes. Um, talking about the Brock Lesnar thing, I thought that when they were building up for him and AJ, uh, and I, I didn't pitch it, but I thought it would be a really cool um, moment or a few minutes worth of a match if when he started kind of getting some pretty good heat and started going for those Germans, if he started cutting backflips out of all of them, Brock yeah. just keeps trying to, do, Brock just keeps trying and AJ just keeps backflipping onto his feet. And after a while, he gets gassed, and that's when he could start doing the, you know, the the flurry and the Pele and all that stuff, and really lead to it. I thought it would be a really cool false finish, uh, but I didn't, I didn't overstep any bounds and and reach out too far. I just, just armchair booking, right? <laughs> hey, now that you've said it, I would have loved to have seen that. That would have been really cool, uh, and and I'm glad that at least when AJ worked with Brock, you know, it wasn't what was going on with Brock usually, where he was just destroying everyone. I mean. He even destroyed Randy Orton at SummerSlam a few years ago. And I was like, at least that could have been a competitive match. But uh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think I, um, from what, I, what I've heard, I think he's a pretty big fan as everybody else is there too of, of Alan. So that's, that's a cool thing. Absolutely, bro. Um, I wanted to ask you about the name Air Paris. I mean, a lot of fans out there that they may be aware that your surname is, in fact, Paris. Uh, but um, I guess you're a high flyer. Is this you just you just came up with this name just based on being a high flyer? This is your surname, Air Paris. Oh no, I hated it. I absolutely <laughs> hated it. It it's uh I'll never forget Bill Barron's. He's like, you're not a we're we're not gonna run with the kid name. We're gonna change that. Oh, forgive me. Um, he said, you know, you don't see anybody other than Shawn Michaels who gets older on television and keeps the name the kid, right? Um, so Bill's like, we have to come up with something different and he, he swapped me over to a babyface. Kid Ego was, I guess, not a, a, a babyface enough name. So he, him, and I think him and Bert came up with the name for Air Paris, and I absolutely hated it. Um, now I, I, you know, it's one of those things that it's kind of, I, I don't know what I would, what I would have ever called myself other than, other than that. But um, yeah, at first I absolutely just, I, I thought it was so dumb, and I thought, man, people are going to compare me to Michael Jordan. Uh, you know, that's what a 21 year old kid thinks like I'm no Michael Jordan and I'm trying to steal the air moniker. Right. Uh, <laughs> even though, I, even though I was in a flea market in Loganville, Georgia, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things where the, the, the shoot name has two R's though, brother. Uh, the, the work name only has one Yeah, uh, where they, they, they can't take my, my, my actual name from me. 
<laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, Air Paris was, uh, I believe, Bill and, and Burt Prentice, they came up with them. Right. And don't feel too bad about the name. Uh, when I used to do backyard wrestling when I was a kid, uh, my name was Taser. So it, it can get worse, <laughs> trust me. Uh, <laughs> was that... Was that one of Matt Hardy's names in Omega? I think. No, I think it was like called that. it was called High Voltage. There we go. I got you. <laughs> uh, Taser's not a bad name. You reckon? Uh, yeah, no, it oh. wasn't too bad. I mean, it was backyard wrestling. I mean, it was, it was all. Awesome. We we all wrestled. We all wrestled in our backyards. Don't worry about it. <laughs> if there's a pool around and you're a wrestling fan and it's someone's birthday party, someone's getting suplexed into that pool. pool you have to. I mean, that's that's an unwritten rule now. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? If, if you know, if you took that name Air Paris and were able to get the first Google search result other than the airline, then that would have been something quite special, right? I think yeah. no search, that's what I get, the, the airline. But uh. <laughs> And I think there's maybe some sort of my, – my kid wanted to Google me one day because uh, uh, she mentioned the Wikipedia or something. And I think there's like an outdoor, some sort of air show or something in oh. actually in Paris. So I'm, I'm pretty far down the list. Um, <laughs> pretty pretty far down that's all right i'm pretty sure i'm pretty far down the list with taser as well so it's okay <laughs> hey we'll, we'll we'll buy some views brother we'll get you we'll get you raised up on the on the search engine <laughs> um so okay uh the nwa in 1999 as i mentioned before i believe it's the 55th 51st anniversary show for the nwa and you compete on the show um I just wanted to know what that kind of uh, that felt like and what the NWA was like at the time, because I know a lot of people had said, you know, the NWA is dead, the NWA is dead, especially after, you know, when Douglas threw down the belt and all that stuff. And that was, you know, several years prior. What's the health of the National Wrestling Alliance like in 1999 from your perspective? You know, we thought it was was alive and kicking, to be honest with you. I think I – don't hold me to it, um, but I believe I wrestled on the 50th anniversary as well. Um, do we know where that – who I wrestled on that? Is that 51st? I think it was in like a scramble or something or a battle royal. Is that correct? Right. I could be uh, getting it mixed up here. Let's just double check. And I on the 50th, I believe uh, I wrestled um, – it was in Nashville. That's when they had – Oh gosh, Gary, um, the Gary Steele, the British guy who's the NWA World Champion, wrestled uh, Ogawa, I believe, on the right. 50th. And and I wrestled, I believe it was me and Cassidy Riley or Rob Williams against Bad Attitude, which was Rick Michaels and David Young, and they were the NWA World Tag Team Champions on that one. Okay, no, yeah, this saying uh, September twenty fifth, ninety nine, that the fifty first anniversary show, there was a battle royal with okay. uh, Twiggy Ramirez, Buck Quartermain, Chris Hero, Chris Michaels, Danny Dominion, Gary Chris Boyle. Hero was in that? Yeah, Johnny Moss, Whoa. Mercury, and Tony Kazina and Vince Catblack. Uh, wow. The Battle of the Belts 99, their 51st anniversary show. Yeah, Chris Hero was in it. <laughs> wow, that's that's cool. I'm a big fan. Um, yeah, that and, one, that match was kind of off, a little just kind of, bad i think i went for a moonsault i snapped married the guy and instead of him and i can't remember who it was you know i, I must not have said lay down and stay but i go for the moonsault and i think he's just sitting up and i just literally just fly right over him 
Um, <laughs> that's cool though. You know, being a part of the NWA was a big deal for me. Cause you know, like I said, the first time I, I, I saw, I remember seeing wrestling, um, it was those guys, the rock and roll express and all that. So to get to be able to wrestle on cards, um, under that NWA banner, uh, for me as a, you know, as a kid, that's just, I mean, it feels like you've hit the big time at that point. Um, I think Bill was the vice president of the NWA at the time. I can't, maybe Howard Brody was the president. I can't remember. Right. Um, but, but we, we treated that as a big deal. I believe Nashville may have been running either as NWA main event. I don't know if it was before that time or after, um, I got to be some champions there. I actually, uh, I was a NWA North American champion for one week. Um, uh, the anniversary of that's coming up actually. So, um, <laughs> I beat the, uh, the Colorado kid, Mike Rapata, um, in a match. I did not know the finish to, uh, they put me over as a surprise on my birthday. It was a, it was a kind of, <laughs> Hey, let's give the kid, let's give the kid the belt for his birthday present. Um, and then I, I dropped it to Chris Harris the next week. So I'm the, if you look up transitional champion in the, in any <laughs> dictionary, I'm definitely, I'm that guy, but it was cool because I had the belt that um, that Jeff Jarrett had on WWF television. Of course, yeah. yeah. So I actually, you know, for, for six and a half days, I, that was my belt for a bit. So pretty, pretty cool. That um, is cool, bro. That is really cool. Well, I'm also, Wikipedia may not uh, have this on there, but I'm an unrecognized uh, NWA World Tag Team Champion. Right. Um, yeah, we did a, well, we. <laughs> um, they came up with a finish. We were at the fairgrounds in Nashville. It was me and, and a guy named Rob Williams from Cincinnati. Um, one of Chris Harris's uh, best friends. Rob's a great guy and a really good wrestler. Um, and we were wrestling David and uh, Rick for the belts. And I believe it was a ladder match. So if I remember correctly, uh, I had bumped David and I go to the top for a leg drop and said, move. And David stayed. So I hit him with the leg drop. And then I believe, I believe Burt Prentice runs and slides in the ring and counts one, two, three as quickly as possible. And they announce, they start throwing us the belts at hand and like announcing us as the world tag team champions. This is completely against, uh, the, the board had no idea they were wanting to do this finish, uh, completely not sanctioned, not approved. Um, I think it got some heat. Um, that may have been, uh, the first time bad attitude got heat for changing the belts kind of, uh, on a whim without going through the office, but uh, right. still kind of a cool thing to, to, you know, even though it's not recognized to have had that for, for just a minute. Yeah, no, that is cool. That's a great story. Um, thanks so much for sharing. And, uh, you know, as we, as I was trying to, we we're trying to figure out, you know, was it the 51st or 52nd anniversary? You were correct before uh, 14th of the 10th, 2000, Bad Attitude, David Young and Rick Michaels defeated yourself and Cassidy O'Reilly at the 52nd anniversary show 52nd, in Nashville. Okay. I got you. Yeah. Now, now, you. So the now, 51st was my first one. There we go. <laughs> yeah now we're all clear uh <laughs> um okay so that's really interesting to hear about your thoughts on the, the scene there because you know i just wanted to know your perspective on that um i wanted to bring it to nwa Wildside um because you know it's kind of got this like following like everyone kind of knows about it and like it was a little it was a little wild uh could you tell everyone out there who might not be aware of what NWA Wildside was, could you just tell everyone, you know, what the promotion was like and what your experience was like there? Because I think that the name of that company really needs to be put out there a bit more. 
yeah, Wild Sides uh, was uh, probably some of the best times I ever had um, wrestling. Um, of course, it was Bill Barron's promotion, uh, or he was sort of the, the head of it. Um, it started out as a company called NCW in North Carolina. Um, Rick Michaels and I think the Hardys and a guy named uh, Steve. Uh, oh, gosh, Steve Martin. How am I going to forget that name? <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they, they had transitioned down into Cornelia, Georgia, into a, a, basically an old church. Um, and so Wildside was this really kind of a, a, a cool little um, sort of almost like an ECW atmosphere. Um, the building held maybe 300 people um, if we were filled to the brim. Um, everybody who basically is anybody, um, minus maybe a couple of folks, wrestled in that building. Um, that's where AJ got his really his start. I wrestled there. Dusty Rhodes uh, actually worked in that building, the Rock and Roll Express. Um, there was a picture in the dressing room the other day uh, that B Bill had posted, and uh, we're all watching the monitor. And I look, and there's Matt Seidel standing there, like six feet from me, watching the thing. And I, I, I never put two and two together that he was there too. You know, I guess we were still in our own little bubbles. But um, yeah. Wildside was really cool. It's one of those things where uh, you'll get a, I'll get fan mail, which is so weird to even say. And I, I, I don't mean it like I'm any, you know anybody big or famous or anything, but I'll get stuff and it'll be like, Hey, I watched you on, uh, on channel four at one thirty in the morning, every, you know, Saturday night or, or whatever. Hey, I had uh, this friend who brought tapes over of NWA Wildside just so we could watch what you guys were doing. And, you know, um, it had really, really good syndication. It was all, all over the country. And, and it's one of those things where people, uh, when tape trading really took off, Wildside was one of those things that people seemed to really seek out. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I remember seeing some of that stuff when my friend would get like compilation tapes of things and there'd be these, yeah, some of these things would slot in there here and there. Tape trading, the wrestling fans of today watching this interview, you know, you'll never know the, uh, the, the beauty behind the art form of the tape trading, you know, you weren't able to see it unless you got that tape and then you could put it in. It took you probably a couple of months to get the actual tape. You put it in and you just be like, wow, there's this whole world out there that a lot of the charm of being a fan back then is now lost because everything is just, you can find it straight away. Um, yeah. Instant gratification. That's it. And, you know, even like my friend Kev would tell me about, you know, he would look at the magazines and see these people in there and he'd be like, who is this guy? You know, and, and, and that's another thing, the charm of, of just getting the magazines and all that stuff. So, yeah, there's certain a charm to it, that's for sure. And uh, as far as NWA Wildside is concerned, you know, is there any sort of documentary about that company out anywhere or has anyone ever talked about that? Because I think that would be pretty cool. There's a uh, there's a, a guy in uh, the UK who's actually writing a book on it. He's interviewed, uh, you know, via email and stuff. A lot of us. Um, I don't know when it's coming out. I think he was saying that he thought the ebook was going to be out fairly, you know, uh, fairly soon. Um, but that's uh, nobody's ever done a video documentary on it. Bill um, actually has all the. Here's a cheap plug. Um, I think it's on IWTV, uh, Independent Wrestling TV. All those yep. episodes are there now. Bill's, Bill's really working to get Wildside back out so people can enjoy it. And really, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Really, it's the the early years of of the phenomenal one that most people are probably interested in, and that's cool. And you know, uh, we were all learning and kind of just feeling our way through it. And it's it's cool that it uh, it's out there to be able to be seen again. 
Absolutely. And I'm sure it would surprise a lot of people, the amount of different people that actually went through that company as well. So, you know, that's Everybody, exciting. Yeah. So, so again, please mention the, the website that people can go to, to find that. I'm, I'm almost positive it's on IWTV. Uh, if I'm wrong, Bill will never forgive me. Uh, but you can go to uh, NWA Wildside on Twitter or Bill Barron's B-I-L-L-B-E-H-R-E-N-S. Um, and he uh, posts daily about new episodes that have been added. And, and so uh, that's that's where to go. And support, you know, um, that's a, it's a really cool project that Bill's putting together. Excellent. And we'll make sure on YouTube, we'll put that into the description. If everyone wants to check that out, it'll be right there. Um, okay. So uh, another thing I read was uh, you won uh, a television championship against a guy called Eddie Golden, not Mike, Eddie Golden on January 6, 2001, but lost the title to AJ that same night. Is that true? Trent transitional champion uh, i told you if you look me up um yeah we i think we were just uh we were trying to get towards me and aj as an angle at that point we, uh, you know that may have been the first oh gosh i hate to i hate to guess but that may have been the first time i ever wrestled aj um, right it, what was that date again you said it was january 6 2001 wow that's that gosh i Maybe that might have been the first time I, I wrestled him. I don't know. That's kind of crazy if so. But um, yeah, Eddie Golden was a, he was a wild side guy. I think he was a, a, like a East Tennessee or a Carolinas guy. Um, really, really solid wrestler. Uh, one of those guys who uh, Southern song and dance kind of guy could really get in there with anybody and have a good match though. Um, uh, Eddie was one of those guys I never really crossed paths with much more than that, but um, a lot of respect for him. He was, he was really good. Wild side was full of those guys too. Um, who, who didn't ever get the shot that they deserved um, or the break that they, they, they honestly should have gotten, but we're, you know, still great, great wrestlers. Absolutely. Yeah. It is such a shame. Like uh, a few months ago, I, um, and the interview still isn't out yet, but I interviewed a guy by the name of Scoot Andrews and. Uh, oh, Scoot was tremendous. He yeah. was just fantastic. And he so never got to be in one of the big companies. I mean, he did do a lot of, TV on metal for uh, WWF back in the day, but he never got that contract that, you know, he, he probably yeah, he was served. Fantastic. He, he was a, was he a Florida guy? Is that yeah. thinking correctly? Yeah, yeah. So good, man. Yeah. Very, very good. I never got to wrestle him. That's one of those. Uh, there was a lot of guys from that era, like reckless youth. I wish I could have wrestled him. And uh, there's a lot of those guys. I wish I got a chance to, to work with scoot would have been right there on that list too. Absolutely, bro. Um, okay, so look, I know that you're you're friends with AJ Styles. I know that you're his tag team partner. This interview isn't about him, okay? He's had enough, okay? <laughs> but I did want to ask you how you first met AJ and how you two became friends. Uh, well, you know, it's funny. Um, it, it may have been that January 6th date, but there's no way that was the first match though because we were signed uh soon soon after that we had to we i think we started wrestling well you know what's funny there's no way that was because we may have we may have invented christmas chaos 2000 against each other um and i think we had done hardcore hell maybe against each other um aj was one of those kind of uh one of those guys that ncw um they were extremely proud of so you know i was working in nashville and you would hear about this guy 
Um, and everybody was just singing his praises. And, you know, a lot of times, I mean, there were probably people who were singing my praises uh, in Nashville. And then when people saw me wrestle, they, they, they were like, why in the world are they bragging on this guy? Right. Um, <laughs> but as soon as you meet, as soon as you meet AJ, you just, uh, he's a, he's a good guy. You, I mean, that's the first thing that you, you realize about him. And then I, when I got in the ring with him or just was watching him, I mean, the, one of the first memories I have of him, he did a, a shooting star press from the top rope to the floor um, on one of the, you know, on one of the wild side big shows. And I was just like, holy cow. What, I mean, this, this guy's incredible, right? Uh, definitely needed polish. Uh, they put us together. Uh, of course, I, neither one of us was polished. We were both green as a, a pepper tree or whatever it is. Cornette says, um, but you know, we just had instant chemistry as far as wrestling each other. And that's when we, we, you know, got to be closer and, and become more friends um, is once we realized how, good we were together in the ring and we you know we started trusting each other and and, and as, as silly as some people may think that is on the outside um when you're in a wrestling match and you're giving yourself to somebody and trusting them you know with you honestly your well-being because we're always a couple inches away from you know breaking our necks or whatever it, it forms a really kind of a strong bond you know between between folks um there's a lot of folks i've, I've worked with that I, I don't have that bond with but aj He's one of those guys, man, when we, we started really just uh, firing on all cylinders, it kind of just brought us together. And then, of course, that rolled right into the, the WCW thing for just a little bit. Of course. And I'm going to get to WCW very soon, but uh, I noticed that you, you teamed with a guy by the name of Cassidy O'Reilly quite a lot. And yeah. uh, I want to know if you had any stories of him and, and have the chance to put him over or, or bury him if you want to. <laughs> no, but, uh... <laughs> no, no, God, no. Cass, Cass is a great guy, man. Um, and Cassidy's one of those guys I'm friends with to this day. Um, his birthday and my oldest daughter, Perry, is the same day. Uh, of course, she's a, she's a little younger. Sorry, Cass, but no, Cass is a, he's a Louisiana guy. Um, I think he's from West Monroe. Um, he came up to Music City uh, when I was there, and, and he was wrestling as the hot shot, um, Cassidy Riley. Uh, just, again, we were both so green. Uh, I guess we were uh, good-looking young baby faces, um, and they put us together as a tag team. We started wrestling us with some guys. Uh, being from Perth, do you know who Ashley Hudson was? Yes, I've been trying to figure out where this guy is for years because a lot of Australian wrestlers here still don't know where he came from, who he is, or anything like yeah. that. He's like he's this mystery to everyone here well, in Australian he's, wrestling. He's my he, he's on social media now. Now, so um, I finally I, I I found Ashley. Um, he was wrestling with a a guy named Corey Williams, uh, and yeah. they were wrestling as the New South. Um, just incredible, incredible tag team. Uh, both great dudes. Uh, just I did a lot of traveling with them. We were doing R&B security. It was a, a little nucleus of like me and Cassidy, uh, those guys, and then they would sort of intersperse other Music City or, or uh, maybe Wild Side guys in with us. But yeah, um, once me and Cassidy formed a tag team, we started wrestling with those guys, man. Uh, again, recognition started flying towards us, you know, and that that's, that's a big... Uh, that's a big compliment or a big statement on how good they were because we both had really no idea how to formulate tag matches and all that. And those guys were just seasoned and, and, and were, you know, gracious enough to, to, to pass that, that stuff along to us. Absolutely love tagging with Cassidy um, wrestling. Those guys, the only, the only bad experience I ever had wrestling those guys. Um, Cassidy had a bad experience at a flea market somewhere in Tennessee um, he called a dive and, and Ashley didn't hear him and just walked away. So Cass 
basically lawn darted himself over over the top rope uh, and we thought he had uh basically uh, killed himself on that one um but we did a dark match at a wcw saturday night taping and uh, we did this spot where um cory was uh, he would shoot me off and tag ashley and he would give me the big tilt whirl up onto his shoulders and then spin about four times and drop me down into a side slam and as soon as i landed there comes Ashley with the slingshot leg drop over the top. And I look up and, and I won't cuss too much, but Ashley's rear end, the, the only, and, and we did this move a hundred times and I look and it's coming. And I thankfully he didn't crush my face, but he sat full weight right on the top of my head. It's the only bad experience I ever had um, wrestling those guys. And Ashley said, mate, and I won't do the, the accent because I can't. He said, <laughs> if it had been an, if it'd been an indie show, I would have, I would have pulled up, but it's WCW. We had to hit the spot. And I said, you're right, dude. So that's, that's the only bad experience I ever had working with any of those guys. Just, just uh, good brothers, man. Good brothers. Right, bro. My mind is blown that you mentioned Ashley Hudson's name because I've been I love searching Ashley. high and low to find out, find this guy to see if I could get him on the show because there weren't yeah. many Australian guys in that time that were over in the US. There was a guy called Mark Mercedes who did a bit in WCW as well. But uh, um, Ashley was somebody that, you know, it, it, when you look at his, uh, his match listings online, he worked there a little bit here and there. And obviously later on, he did do a few things in uh, TNA early on. Um, especially the first episode that ever aired, the pay-per-view that ever aired in Australia, he was on the show. Um, but a lot of, I've, I've interviewed other Australian wrestlers and they're like, we know nothing about this guy. We've never met him. Oh, wow. and we've always, it's, it's like mystery to everyone in Australia about this guy. So um, now that you oh, said he's so on social good. media, I'm going so to good. find him and I'm going to, you know, tell him I've got to speak to him. Uh, <laughs> I will, uh, I will uh, give him the office on it as well. I'll shoot him a message when we're done and let him know you're, you're going to be reaching out to him. Awesome, bro. That means a lot to me. Um, so, okay, no you spoke a bit about uh, your good friend Cassidy. Uh, eventually, Chase Stevens replaces you and his tag team because you get signed to WCW in 2000. Um, how did the opportunity come about to – this is, again, I read this on Wikipedia. It said that you were signed <laughs> to WCW. Uh, how did the opportunity come about? So um, WCW was uh, basically almost – Nashville was a developmental territory for a bit, and so was Wildside. Um, so they started sending guys from the power plant, and even like uh, Nora Greenwald, who's Molly Holly, who's a Hall of Famer now. I've been, I've been uh, tooting that horn for years that she, she deserved that. I'm so, so proud and happy uh, you know, for her. Me too. Um, it was her – oh, no, no, there's nobody in the business that deserves – um, well, I, I hate to say it like that. She earned everything, um, but she's just the the nicest person you'll ever meet. So if they ever, I told her that if they ever create a, a, a good person Hall of Fame, she'll be the first person to go in and then AJ will probably go number two. Um, they won't even let me in the door on that place probably. <laughs> um, but, they, but they were sending folks like uh, Elix Skipper, uh, Kid Romeo. Um, I, those were the two guys that I, I kind of got paired off with when they they first came to nashville um they were wanting to work in front of bigger crowds and kind of just get some experience and so i i wrestled with both of those guys it's funny that they were my my last 
maybe our last WCW match uh, was Romeo and, and Elix. I never put two and two together on that. They were the ones that beat me in the in Nashville all those times, and then in the Cruiserweight Tag Team Title uh, tournament as well. But yeah, um, yeah, they were sending guys, and then we got to reciprocate. So they want they had us do extra work as security and, and different stuff. The R&B security gig was a a pretty sweet deal. Um, my first night with the company uh, doing anything was January third of two thousand. Uh, and again, uh, just insane. I get to go to, I think it was Greenville, South Carolina, and I'm 20, 21 years old. Um, and I was a paramedic uh, that ran out in the main event and got hit with a baseball bat by, uh, by Jeff Jarrett. It was when they were, they were doing the silver. And, and to this day, I love Jeff. I just actually listened to his podcast uh, a couple of days ago and had to email him and just congratulate him. So good. Um, but yeah, my first uh, first ever time in a WCW ring, I was saving Sid, which makes all the sense in the world, um, from <laughs> Bret Hart and Jeff Jarrett. Uh, so I think Bret cracks me with a bat, and then uh, they spray painted. I think Bret may have spray painted me NWO, and I almost took that uh, took that paramedic shirt home. I didn't know if I would ever get to come back or whatever if I did, but I think they probably just threw it away. I should have probably kept it, but um, you know. I was there basically every show minus maybe three from January 3rd until the very end. Um, I was uh, booked basically every week on Nitro and Thunder as, as some sort of extra or enhancement talent doing, you know, worldwide working with Chronic or or Three Count, you know, Shannon and Shane. Shane Helms was uh, really um, instrumental in helping me get even looked at, you know, and putting me in front of Jimmy Hart so we could get a, a, a tryout and do dark matches or extra spots as far as that goes. Um, but yeah, fast forward, um, Terry Taylor and, and those guys, they asked us to come to, they saw me and Alan Russell and, uh, I, we were, like I said, firing on pretty much all cylinders at that point. We were, we were having some, you know, I, I don't ever want to sound egotistical, but we were having some really, really good matches, um, telling pretty good stories for two 20 year old kids who didn't know how to tell a story. <laughs> um, but he, you know, I could mix in the Southern wrestling and he could do all the, the insane athletic stuff and. And so they, they invited us to come to a dark match in Baltimore. We did. And uh, uh, that's when, you know, uh, uh, that week they, they offered us a contract. for. We actually, I believe we got Diamond Dallas Page arrested on that same show. Um, uh, the, book, the book signing thing that pops up all the time. Have you seen this one? Where no. Page is signing his book. Oh, yeah. Page is signing his book. And these two uh, idiots in the, in the line start arguing. It's me and AJ. <laughs> and so uh page comes over to uh he comes over to to break us up and when he waves his hand i take this this big bump and and al's like you hit him what are you doing <laughs> so we were in on a big uh we were in on a big plot with uh jeff jarrett to get ddp arrested that day <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome um i think i remember that uh Okay, uh, twenty nine. I want to bring it to like the, the some of these matches that you had, and if you want to yeah. chime in and tell me a little bit about any of it, if there's nothing to tell, that's okay. I'll just keep going. But I, I thought it was important to mention some of these matches. Twenty ninth of the fourth, two thousand, Beaumont, Texas, WCW Saturday Night. You team with Elix Skipper and Shark Boy in a six man tag, losing to three count. Uh, so this is from what my research tells me is your actual television debut. It must be pretty cool to be on the mothership WCW Saturday night after all these years. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, funny story about that one. I had no idea that was in Beaumont, Texas. I didn't, I had no idea I'd ever been to Beaumont, Texas, but let's <laughs> check that one off the list. So they came, uh, it, I don't know if, if it was a production assistant or whoever, they come up and they say, so uh, what's your name? And I said, Frank Paris, right? I, they were asking me what my ring name was, oh. and I had no idea. That's why it's Elix Skipper, Shark Boy, and Frank Paris instead <laughs> of Air Paris at that point, because I was such a moron. Um, I had no idea they were wondering about my ring name and not my real name. Um, that was so fun. Again, uh, Shannon and Shane uh, pitched that, pitched us for that. They said that it, it would be good, um, and they were extremely giving. Uh, that was the first time I think they ever did that triple X factor. So fun, All right? Excuse me, just having a bit more red wine. Um, <laughs> You're good, brother. If I hey, if I get long winded, cut me off. Right, right the bro, eyes or something. Bro, I, I like the uh, the the minute details, the minutia. I like that you told me that little story there about your name being wrong on the on the show. That's the stuff I like. It's like it's the juicy details for me. Um, your next match, you make your worldwide debut, 30th of the 5th, 2000, in Boise, Idaho. You team with Alan Funk and a guy by the name of Shane Eden. And you take you, you cop a little bit of a loss here to Chronic, of course. And um, I wanted to give you the chance to um, talk about working with Chronic because uh, next Thursday we'll be releasing our interview with the one and only Brian Clark. And he had mentioned that I'd asked him because... He had had many matches in his career where he squashed someone. And I said, who's your favorite guy that you ever squashed? Who's someone that you oh, no way. good? <laughs> he said, Air Paris. And maybe that's just because he was happy to be beating me up. Uh, <laughs> no, man, those guys were just so uh, growing up. Demolition was, was my they were my tag team. Right. And I was a massive uh, Night Stalker fan. So when when Brian first broke into the scene, he had the big axe and all that. Uh, I thought he was the, the absolute coolest guy in the world. So fast forward to getting to wrestle him and Brian. Um, just well, well, first instincts is is holy crap. These dudes are. I mean, they're jacked and they're scary and they're rough and they're tough and 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 I'll you know just full transparency. They were they were pretty rough with a lot of guys, um, you know, because they could be. And it, it was you know that was the gimmick, and that they never hurt anybody, and they were never intentionally um, uh, maliciously out to hurt anybody. But they were rough. You knew you were going to be in a match, and it was going to be pretty tight. Um, the first time I wrestled them, I was scared to death, uh, just absolutely scared to death, and they never touched me. Um, there's a lot of things that they did that looks like it's just absolutely killing me. And they were, they were just both pros, man. Uh, um, getting to wrestle them was uh, just a dream come true. Cause again, I love demolition and, and the night stalker. Um, and after that, man, they would uh, sort of put in a, a bug in people's ears. If they were getting to do a, a, you know, some sort of a worldwide match or whatever, they would say, Hey, you know, give us this guy too. So yeah, uh, man, just those, those were so fun. Getting beat up has never been quite so much fun as it was by those guys, man. Um, <laughs> Uh, some of the some of the other guys in that match may not have enjoyed it as much, but they uh, again never. Uh, I think David Young hit me way harder than either of those guys ever did. Just completely treated me uh, fantastic. <laughs> awesome, Loved every minute man. of it. <laughs> awesome man, yeah. He, Brian's a great guy. We had a great conversation uh, a little while ago. Thirteenth uh, of the sixth, the Norfolk Scope. Yeah, this is nice. You and Cassidy get to team up with a young James Storm. 
against three count there. Um, so it must be fun to be able to have your old tag partner come in with you here at the Norfolk Scope. Yep. Uh, Shane Helms loves to tell the story, and so does Storm, that uh, uh, before the match, because it was a pretty, pretty good house that night, um, Cassidy calls the springboard spot. Now, he'll, he'll kick my tail for, for bringing this up, but he, he calls the springboard spot, and we're all like, you know, you make sure you make sure you hit it. Shane Helm said, you know, if you're going to try it, you better you better make sure you nail it. You know, this is a, this is TV and it's a big house. And they tried to talk him out of it. And he said, nope, I hit it all the time. He was, you know, jumping up there and earlier in the day and sure as the world uh, when the light goes on, he jumped and he slipped sure as the world and just fell face first. So <laughs> you can hear Shane Helms probably on the camera, him and Storm going, we told you. Yeah. <laughs> Again, man, that's just so fun because, you know, uh, the only guy that I hadn't come up in the business with in Nashville in that match was was Evan. Um, Shannon and Shane were there as the Bad Street Boys. Storm and Cassie were both guys that I'd been around a lot. So uh, that was a big family reunion on television, basically, for us. Lots of fun. That is awesome, bro. Um, Again, look, I just, I'm liking going through this timeline because it seems there's a story everywhere I turn here. So I'm liking this. I like it a lot. Uh, the 11th of the 7th in Charleston, South Carolina, again against Chronic with Corey Williams, Mike Rapata, and James Storm again as partners. It's four against two here, and again, Chronic get the win. Uh, if there's no story there, that's cool. I can keep moving on. Somebody was trying to call in there, so I had to fix that real quick. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, it's one of those things, man. I tell I tell people all the time: if you've never stood in the ring and heard Chronic's music and saw those two big bad dudes coming towards you, then you've never really lived. Uh, so, <laughs> again, facing the know, road warriors, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I never did, but I would I would assume so because you get you definitely get that factor where you're just, uh, as soon as you hear that Chronic music start up and they come through the curtain, it's definitely a little bit of apprehension. But yeah, just <laughs> I think that's one of those times they they sort of handpicked me. Uh, well, I would love to see that one again. I don't think I've seen that one in some time. The, the six-man pops up, or the, the three-on-two pops up a lot, but that would I'm be sure. cool to see. I, I have every piece of footage from WCW from 95 to 2001 on my oh, hard wow. drive. I have more on my hard drive than the WWE Network. That's how much of a nerd I am. Uh, Holy smokes. So I could, I could probably scoop up all these things and send them your way if you like, bro. <laughs> I would love it, man. That's that's so cool. Thank you. That's 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 cool that that stuff uh, is is going to still be out there. Absolutely, bro. Uh, so another another one which is very meaningful. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to get the uh, the name of the town correct. Biloxi, Mississippi. Uh, it's your Thunder debut on the 12th of February, 2001. So it's a, it's a little far down the line from these other matches that I've mentioned, but it's your first tag team match with AJ and WCW from what I'm gathering in my research. Please tell me if I'm wrong against Evan courageous and Jamie Noble. Um, you guys uh, get put together in this tag team. Uh, you must've been pretty excited to do this together. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that was a lot of fun. Um, I, I, I wish that, you know, I don't ask for a lot of do-overs, and I, there's not a lot of things that I regret or or, or look back on, not fondly on uh, as far as wrestling. WCW's got a couple of those, though. Uh, they put me in some terrible gear. I, I was wrestling in Hardy Boy pants and a shirt, um, and that's how they signed me. I was, you know, 
comfortable and and doing my doing you know probably the best work I ever did at that point and then they put me in tights on t- tv with no I, I was not I was definitely not a body guy right um so they put me in this completely unflattering outfit and I had absolutely no self-esteem um those matches if you go and watch a wild side match from that same year that same same time frame and then you look at the kid wearing wearing that that awful gear it's it's two different people um <laughs> completely self-conscious um zero self-esteem wouldn't uh, thankfully jamie was a, a great guy and evan was a nice guy too um i just i knew jamie from before uh, and they were both pros and they still you know worked with me some but i i, I had uh i was so far so far from the kid that that they signed as far as mentally at that point just from you know the, not shame but just the the embarrassment of being put in gear that i was not comfortable in i didn't stand up and say no I, you know i should have i should have said hey no let's let's find something better um everybody else in the company was wearing pants i don't know why i couldn't maybe that's why <laughs> um but um yeah so that, that's one of those I'd, I'd love to have a chance to do over because i would have probably stood up a little bit maybe who knows may not have but um but i would have definitely tried to be a bit more assertive um and you'll see that in a couple of those matches you know when we get towards uh, a couple of these matches i think that are coming up there's one where i'm really almost non-existent as in and then there's one where i was comfortable and then you can kind of see where it was starting to come back around but yeah those guys are pros too evan was always fun to work with Uh, he doesn't get a lot of credit he was solid um had a had a uh, unbelievable look uh was built like a million dollars and then yeah. uh, everybody knows how everybody knows how great jamie noble was i mean that's i mean he was a uh just uh ahead of his time he was a hybrid before that was really a term i believe yeah and look if anyone out there wants to criticize one evan courageous have you made out with medusa no he has so shut up <laughs> <laughs> yes sir allegedly uh, i don't know if is that is that a known i don't know it, it happened stories. on television so oh okay yeah. i got you well color <laughs> color me jealous right there uh, there was a little angle i think it was in uh at 99 when vince russo and ferrara were riding the show and uh there was a little like a a, a love story going on with uh evan and uh medusa which i'm sure she got a bit of a thrill out of making out with a younger guy as well uh <laughs> uh gotta love gotta love tv that's it bro uh 25th of february 2001 i, I want to see if you remember this one it's in lake charles louisiana it's a four corners tag match. Kidman and Mysterio Jr., that's a hell of a team. Defeat three count, Evan and Shannon, and Air Paris with Jamie Noble as his partner, and the Young Dragons, Kaz Hayashi and Jimmy Wang Yang, then known as Yang. Uh, do you remember this one at all? Because that looks like a fun match there. I do remember that one. I remember that one very well. That's the only house show we ever did for WCW. And it was actually not in Louisiana. That was in Manchester, Tennessee. Okay. Not completely mistaken. Um, couple of couple of uh one funny and a couple of sort of maybe interesting stories from that. Um we were well before the match, uh everybody's like, Hey, it's a it's a house show, you know, Ray likes to take it kind of easy, you know, that's just we'll just sort of you know he's he's the man let's just sort of defer and see what he what he wants to do and he's like no man let's we'll have some fun so we got to do i, I got to do a cool little heat spot where he did the 619 through and duck the clothesline and 
goes for the moonsault and I pull the knees up. I, that's one of those, if you can find that, I would love to see that again. Um, we got to do our crash and burn spot where we uh, scoop up and then flatten them back out um, on Rave, which was just for me as a, as a Rave Mysterio fan and, and a smaller guy, just uh, being in the same building with Rave Mysterio was just um, amazing. So to get to be in the ring with him, you know, when he came to the ring and at this point he wasn't wearing the mask, but he got on the corner and he had the half mask on. Yeah, and I'll never forget. I look up and and there's Rey Mysterio Jr. getting in the ring to wrestle with me, and it's just like, man, I I, I get cold chills thinking about it now. It's just, yeah, uh, it's there. That's so awesome. But um, and then there's a a, a little bit. Of, uh, <laughs> I'll tell the other funny story about that one before I tell the unfortunate one. Um, we were standing um in the locker room. What I may I want to say maybe it's Jeff Jarrett or something. We're and me and Alan are talking and music's playing and. We, we didn't know it was our music so we're just <laughs> we're just standing we're just standing there waiting and they're like hey uh pretty sure this is you guys and we're like uh, oh okay and so <laughs> we we had, had everybody that was out there ready uh, already waiting on us i think it might have been three count we were interrupting or something so uh, we had no idea that we had music le- or let alone that it was that cool but um <laughs> and and then i'll tell the unfortunate one this is uh this is kind of this will you being a WCW fan, you'll enjoy this. So uh, Billy Kidman uh, was one of those guys that I, uh, we really just, he helped pave the way, especially in WCW for small guys as well. Um, was always a nice guy, you know, um, uh, we were never really close or anything, but, uh, you know, wrestling Kidman was, it wasn't the, the right Mysterio level for me because he, uh, I, I started seeing Mysterio from AAA. So he, I had him on as I should, or as we all should on this really high, um, pedestal Mysterio is the man who who really did it for all of us um but so we go to do the car crash spot and Kidman does the dive over on me and I think AJ's coming next and I I thought he was coming straight over I thought he was just going to do the flip or you know the straight front flip because that's what he did most of the time and Kidman says so what's he doing I said he's coming straight over and AJ starts spinning <laughs> um and so if you watch the very last Nitro, and this is a kind of a little Easter egg, and, it's, and not, not not funny or anything. This is why I'm saying it's unfortunate. Uh, AJ, when he started spinning, Kidman thought he was coming straight over, and he caught a knee to the eye. So if you wow. see those stitches on his eye on, on the last Nitro, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think I, I caught a little bit of heat for that, um, even oh, though it was completely – I I would never – you know, I, again, just, un, just an unfortunate one, but it's one of those little Easter eggs from – from that that time period that you as a fan might might go back and be like oh that makes sense now that's why that's why he's got that on his on his head <laughs> that's fantastic bro um okay this here here we go the, there's a cruiserweight tag team championship tournament it's in it's on the 5th of march 2001 um you know, when I think back, it I just feel like it's crazy to think that there was actually a cruiserweight tag team championship. Obviously, it wasn't around very long because the fifth of March is not very far from the twenty third of March, which is the end of WCW. But Air Raid, uh, you take on the eventual winners, Eric Skipper and Kid Romeo in Greenville, I believe. Uh, tell me about this one. You must have been, you know, I mean, I don't know if at this point you're hearing. Any rumors about WCW closing down? But you must be pretty excited that you guys are now called Air Raid. You have a name, you know. Maybe you've already been called that before, but you got this thing going on, and you got this great match with these guys. You know, how are you feeling at this point? And and please tell me about the match. 
Uh, again, I'd already uh, locked up with both those guys when they were in developmental getting ready to come up. So I had, I had pretty good familiarity with, with both Sam and Elix. Um, Elix Skipper's probably the best athlete um, that ever was a pro wrestler. And, and he, he had limitless potential. Elix, I mean, everybody sees the cage, the cage walk spot. Um, and he never walked through that. Um, David Young actually told me a story about that. Um, and and I, hopefully I'm, it's okay for me to tell this. And I'll, I'll come back to us. I'll circle back around. But um, of course. Da- David tells me the story that I believe um, that was Dusty, maybe, or whoever was booking TNA at the time had basically told Elix that they were finishing him up that night, that that was going to be the end of his, his, this is from David Jones. And so he was there. Um, and so Elix said, yeah, no, we're going to do this cage spot. And they, they called it and never walked through it, just did it when the lights were on. And then they had to keep it basically. And that's the way, I mean, it's the most spectacular spot possibly in the, in the history of pro wrestling period. Yeah. Um, so that was a, uh, Hey, you know, I'm going to show, I'm going to show everybody who I am. And so they, you know, become undeniable. That's what, what, what Elix did with that, that match. So cool little sidebar, um, uh, unless David Young's completely telling me a lie, which he, he, he does, but, um, I, I believe that one. Um, but no, those guys, I, again, had familiarity with both of them. If you go back, I think we worked with, the the young dragons once right before that too. And they started getting me into some better gear and I was a little more confident because I knew Jimmy, um, from, uh, from Georgia before as well. And Kaz is one of those guys. He was like a, a small Muda. Um, Kaz yeah. is, so underrated as far as as pro wrestling. And J- Jimmy was awesome too, but Kaz is one of those guys. He moved like Muda. Uh, he was just so unique um, that I don't think people um, ever really gave him the credit that he deserves for being so, so good. He was just, you know, some of those ladder matches they did, I think, at Starcade. Just yeah. incredible stuff. But when they go on about all these great cruiserweights from WCW's history, it's always Ray, Psychosis, Lepaka, you know, even maybe Super Calo might get uh, a, a, a little shot as, of him as well. Um, but people are forgetting that, you know, even though Kaz came in a little bit later on in WCW uh, with the Cruiserweight stuff, you know, he was he was there, you know, he was an important part of that division because at that point mm-hmm. guys like Ray and Kidman had left the division to do, and Milenko had gone yep. off to do other things. They needed guys to come in there to be an important part. So I completely agree. Sorry to cut you off. I just wanted yeah. to say that. No, no, no. I, anytime there, there is credit due, I think it should be, it should be given. Kaz is one of those guys, like, you know, that whole, like Shane Helms. I mean, people, people sleep on Shane Helms sometimes. Uh, just how, how really Shane was a top guy. I mean, he was, a, he was coming up. He would have been a top guy in WCW, uh, in two years, uh, not as a cruiserweight. I think that Sugar Shane gimmick, he would have been, he would have been a U.S. champion. He would have been probably in line working with whoever was on top at that point. He was on that kind of a trajectory, um, just becoming undeniable, right? That's that's one of those sort of those threads. But um, that's when I started sort of building some confidence, though. I think we had the Disco and Alex match where they put us over, and they still had me in that awful, awful gear. Uh, the gear with the Jung Dragons was better, and then I, the stuff they put us in for. Um, or that they made us for that match with, with, uh, with Elix and Romeo, uh, even a bit more comfortable. So you can see that if you watch those matches now, no one, you can see my, my, uh, confidence is starting to build. Um, you know, who knows where we would have been in six months or a year or two years or wherever at that point. 
but uh, yeah, that's when I started actually getting a bit more comfortable. Those those two matches, that and the Young Dragons match, I'm I'm actually I don't cringe watching. <laughs> I don't mind watching those <laughs> at all. Um, uh, and all those guys were just great. Those those are ones I don't mind watching. But if I could have the Disco and Alex match back, um, and and that one with uh, with Jamie and Evan, those are those are two I'd like to redo. Um, when I when I was still mentally not kind of off right. track. I understand. Um, and I wanted to uh, bring a revelation to you here. Your final WCW match is against actually the Young Dragons uh, because it's Doesn't on an, it's uh, the 5th of March 20, 2001 was the Cruiserweight Tag Team title match with uh, Skipper and Romeo. But the final match you guys uh, had was okay. on the 19th of March on Thunder in Gainesville, Florida against the Young Dragons. And I believe this is the final episode of uh, Thunder uh, as on the 23rd. I, which I believe so. was isn't too far along later. It was when the end of WCW came. So tell me about that match. And, and please, if, if there's any situation that you were in backstage where you heard anything about this company going under, if you heard anything, please indulge. Uh, well, uh, I mean, I was so far down the totem pole at that point. I mean, we I, we were so new. Uh, even though I'd been there in security doing those spots and extra work for for a year or so, um, I, I was I was of no uh, no I was on nobody's list of important people to to tell about what was going on with the company. Um, I was just there to try to show up and do my job and hopefully keep it, which we we see how that worked out. But um, yeah, I mean, there were rumblings uh, and there was talk about maybe going dark for i think they they said anywhere from three to six months that and i want to say it was shane and it keeps coming back shane's one of those guys who uh he if, if he can help you and you want to you want to work uh he'll he'll help you more than anybody um even at, at the maybe the risk of, of of losing a little bit of shine himself he'll help you because he knows it'll come back later on so if that makes sense shane's just one of those guys um, but I believe it was him telling us that Eric was buying the company. And I guess that was the fusion deal or whatever. Um, we didn't know uh, any of the details as far as that, but basically we were hearing that it was going to be uh, dark and just do house shows to try to rebuild interest um, for anywhere from like three to six months. And then TV would come back. Um, we didn't know anything about like the big bang that, that um, Eric Bischoff had talked about doing or, there was no no talk of any like actual moving parts, but that's that's kind of what the, the rumblings we were hearing from from our small little spot on the roster. All right, and uh, the match itself, uh, I mean, it, 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 it was one of your other fond memories of WCW, and it was the last outing there. Yeah, oh, that's so fun, man. That's those that that I, I think you can see again the progression where my my mental state's coming back to I'm getting getting to sort of be that kid who they signed I was I was a, a far more comfortable in spandex I guess on television <laughs> at that point than I was before because the outfit wasn't quite as ugly um that's when they put us in they wanted us to actually wrestle in those flight suits that we wore to the rink which was insane because they were hot it was basically coveralls oh, yeah um, and and so thankfully we got out of that idea but yeah, that match was so fun. Um, called some, uh, like the one kick where uh, Kaz, uh, I think I was on the apron, and Kaz does like a springboard spin kick to me or something. It looks like he just ripped my head off, and it was uh, just n not even there. Just so good, man. Um, and that, I think that's 
that's one of those that I, I'm okay showing that one to people who, if they ask me if I used to wrestle or something, that's one of those matches I'd be okay showing them um, on a big stage with with three other pros, and and that that one's fun. That that that's one that I really really enjoyed. Yeah, cool, bro. And and just for a little factoid for everyone out there, uh, the Big Bang pay per view was apparently supposed to be on May sixth, two thousand one. And uh, WCW Magazine was coming out in March, April, and May of 2001, even though the company was already gone. And on the back cover of one of those editions, there is a big poster for the Big Bang pay-per-view that was supposed to happen in May. Wow. Um, and I have that's, all three of those editions of the magazine. <laughs> wow, that, that's cool. I had no, no idea about that. Yeah, so isn't it funny how there were all these plans in in place but uh then what happened happened and the magazine still managed to make it to the stands um uh when did you find out wcw was done this is <laughs> um about this is heartbreaking bro at the same time every <laughs> oh man it's uh, yeah it's one of those things where uh even at 21 i felt like i had worked my entire life to get this spot right seven years uh, and so for the rug to get pulled out from under there was one thing in pro wrestling that was never going to happen right there was no way that Vince McMahon would ever be able to buy WCW uh, even, uh, as bad as the company had been that that was the one thing that would never ever happen right <clears throat> so yeah I think I found out when everybody else did I was at home watching television because they didn't book us on that last one okay. um yeah, yeah, we were off on that one, which, um, you know, I don't know if, I don't know how early anybody else knew, but I'd actually already taken uh, a week's worth of bookings in California. Um, yeah, for an independent thing. Um, I called Bill and I said, hey, you know, I got an, and this, this tells you uh, how long ago uh, this was. So the, the guy that had been booked for this, this little tour uh, it was booked under his his ring name, right? His his plane ticket was booked under his ring name. So when I got to the airport, I show my ID. I said, "But this is the ring name. This is a pro wrestling name. This I'm I'm supposed to take this ticket." And they let me fly. This is this shows you where we were at. Yeah, oh um, you know the the world the world changed a short time after. Very sure. Um, but yeah. yeah, yeah, just unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I, I called Bill and I said, hey, I've got an opportunity to make a pretty good payoff. And and what should I do? Because, you know, is this going to be like a breach of contract? And he said, we, we don't know if the contract's going to be worth the paper it's printed on by the time next week rolls around. So so go ahead and take them. So I'd already agreed to a week's worth of bookings out there uh, before it ever happened. So thank, thankfully, <laughs> that was about a pretty bad uh, misnomer there. I was going to say, thankfully, the company went out of business, so I didn't breach my contract by doing an <laughs> indie show, right? Um, but yeah, thank thankfully the situation panned out the the way it did. I guess is the way I'll say it. But yeah, you know, WCW was one of those. WCW was one of those things where, um, and, and I, it was a, a a really good learning experience. You know, uh, when I first got that contract. I put my rear end somewhere up here on my shoulders. Um, and, you know, humility is one of those things that is a, is a lesson we all need to learn. And we all will eventually. Um, I learned mine at 20, 21 pretty, pretty well. You know, I thought I was a, a hot shot that no pun intended there for the previous tag team name. But, <laughs> um, 
you know, when, go, going back to when we first started talking, you know, that, that generation of guys before who were all these tough guys who thought they were big stars in, the, in you know, in, in the, these big fish in these small ponds telling me I'd never be anything and all that to sign a contract with the, the second largest wrestling company in the world. You know, uh, I, t- I, man, I took that and, and I, I, I let that really inflate my ego pretty well for a bit to go call back to the name kid ego, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, so that, you know, WCW was a great lesson in humility for me. And, and I'm, I'm thankful for, for having learned that and haven't had the opportunity to be a part of it. You know, it's something people can't ever take away from me, but in the same breath, I believe um, signing with WCW was probably the worst thing that ever happened to my, my wrestling career. I mean, as silly as that sounds, um, you know, six months before I was out there, uh, we were hustling it, uh, you know, four or five nights a week, just working our tails off hungry. Uh, We had this, this goal we were working towards. Right. Um, and then you get this this contract and you feel like you've made it to, to this spot that you were working for. And then the rugs pulled out from under you and it just completely it it separated separated me from wrestling pretty hardcore at that point. Um, because I felt like and I tell people 21 year olds should never be allowed to make any of their own decisions. <laughs> I think we ought to make it like 35 or something. Because yeah. I sulked up and I went I sulked up and I went home. You know, I thought, well, you know, wrestling owes me, you know, I've worked, I've worked all of my life. It's so dumb to even hear myself saying that. <laughs> yeah. But 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 all that drive and all that hunger and, and all that 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 uh pushing towards that goal of getting there was gone. It was just it was it was gone in in one two hour television show basically. Um, if I hadn't signed, you know, if we hadn't had a contract, maybe if we were just sort of nightly or something, we were still pushing to get there, and that rug gets pulled out, then maybe I would have done what Alan did, and just because you know, and he he had that that conversation with me. He said, you know, we're coming off TV, and Bill told us the same thing. We're just off TV. Uh, we've got this. Let's just keep keep hustling, keep pressing. You know, just keep moving forward, and I again uh completely um just me making a poor poor decision um uh turned out well for me you know uh, my life now is absolutely just man i'm I'm a lucky dude i'll just tell you i got a beautiful wife two perfect little girls got a yard that i love to mow like hank hill and (laughs) but um but but as far as pro wrestling you know that was that was probably the worst thing that could have ever happened to me was having that contract you know, having that for two months just completely took all that that motivation away. It, sorry to go on such a tangent. No, there, please. Honestly, that was that was one of the most powerful uh, stories of being at a crossroads in someone's life that we've ever had on the show. When we had Alan Funk on the show, I think it was our fourth interview we ever did. Uh, he talked. He was doing pay per view. He was, you know, he was, he was finally, he finally got up there after all those yep. years in the power plant and working his way up through Saturday night and worldwide for the pre since 99. And then he's right there. And then it just got, now he's back in developmental again, yep. at WWE. It was yep. disheartening for him. And, you know, he did a little bit in TNA, but I, you know, after that, he kind of, yeah. I think his heart was broken by the wrestling business. And you're so right about 21 year olds. Gosh, when I was a 21-year-old, I was an asshole. I was a horrible <laughs> kid. I should never, at that age, be able to make any decision on anything. Maybe maybe what I'm going to have for breakfast, what cereal I'm going to eat, but that's about it. 21-year-olds, 
don't know anything about life at all. So I can totally understand (laughs) how you feel about that. 35. Hey, I'm 34. So like I, now I feel like I'd know who I am and, 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 and what decisions I want to make in life. But 21, I was so up with the fairies. I thought I was unstoppable, you know, and, uh, (laughs) So I totally, I totally get what you're saying, bro. And I really appreciate you uh, sharing all that with me because it must have been, of course, yeah. your eyes must have widened when you're watching Nitro at home and all of a sudden Vince McMahon's on the screen. You must have just been freaking out. Like, get your phone out. Alan, what's going oh, yeah. on, bro? <laughs> uh, the, the, we, we definitely, there was a couple of moments and I'll leave, I'll leave that up to the imagination, but there was a couple of spots during that television show where we were calling each other. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, and that's not one of the. I, I don't tell that story for anybody to. It's not a, a like a sympathy grab or anything like that. But no, it's just no. one of those things where, and I, I try to teach my girls, man. Uh, well, my oldest one more so because the, the little one, she's still she's still kind of just in her developmental stages. But, um, you know, just because you reach a certain spot, don't don't stop. If you've got a goal and you've got a dream, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a kid from Somerville, Georgia, right. Um, I'm a in a in a little tiny town that it's probably ever heard of outside of this conversation, and I said, "Hey, I want to be a pro wrestler," and I, and I made it on the television on Monday Nitro. You know, I was in the locker room with Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and all those guys. So, uh, dream dreams are doable; they're attainable. There's nothing that anybody cannot do if they really, really set their mind to it. And they and you can you can speak it into existence. You can will yourself to to overcome anything that stands in your way except for decisions and, and get in your own head, which is what happened to me in 2001. Um, so uh, use me as a, as a guide and as a, a what not to do in sort of those situations. And, uh, you know, just because you hit a roadblock or a, a hiccup or something on the way, you know, don't let it derail the, the, the path to, to wherever you're wanting to go. I agree, bro. You know, it doesn't matter the situation. Your dreams can come true without a doubt. Although I think my dream of dating Tori Wilson is out the window, unfortunately. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, reach for the stars, brother. Reach for the stars. <laughs> okay. I, I said that a little quietly because my girlfriend's asleep inside the house there. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I want to ask this question because I always thought this when I used to watch TNA, and, and I promise there's not much longer to go, bro. Um, no, you're good, man. But I always knew of your name when AJ was in TNA and he still had his little short hair. Now he's got the the long locks, but he had his little short hair still and he was just making a name for himself week after week after mm-hmm. week. And I always knew of your name from the tape trading and all that stuff. And I, I always expected you to show up and go after him. Was that ever discussed? Was it, was it ever discussed that his old tag partner would come in and just wreck his life? <laughs> uh no not not with me i don't know if anybody um ever really if that was ever even discussed within the company or anything like that i i basically i took a that's when you know wikipedia is right i did take several years off um i, I took i guess 2001 2002 off till about 2005 so that's i guess there's a three years window um but no, I, I mean, guys like Jeremy Borash and Bob Ryder, Bill Barons, they all tried to kind of get my head screwed back on straight and get my get it out of my own rear end so I could get out of my own way and, and, and start pushing back towards wrestling. But I had just gotten so far removed. I, I didn't love pro wrestling. Okay. It was at that right. point, you know. I was I was I was completely stoked for for the guys that were there. But I, I had no 
um, I got fat. I got out of shape. Um, I think I, I wrestled Jerry Lawler in 2005 and uh, it, way, way out of shape. Like I snapped Meriden pretty quick and went for a, a chin lock. And Jerry pops up and goes, no rest holds. And I said, I'm blown up. And he looks at me and goes, how? Like, how are you blown up? So, yeah, I, I you know, I, I'd gotten so far from pro wrestling at that point that, you know, I would have done myself and that everybody in that organization a disservice if I, if I tried to come in and take anybody's spot. I had, I had absolutely no, no business okay. or uh, ability to do that at that point. I understand. I understand. I understand. And uh, thank you for uh, laying some context to that. Now, uh, me from uh, seventeen years ago understands why Air Paris never came in to uh, feud with his old tag partner. Uh, I don't know why. I always was just like he's he's going to be there at some point soon. Uh, <laughs> now, now if, if you if you want to if you want to kind of sort of satiate that that a little bit you can go back on youtube there's a uh i started running some when i when i started enjoying wrestling again and i kind of got reconnected with it I, I was uh booking some shows in a little town called cedartown georgia at a, a promotion at a building called the perks p-u-r-k-s the p-i-c-w uh, that's the one yeah it was basically wrestling fantasy camp for me um so <laughs> Uh, I was going to bring all that up because I've got all these matches yeah. here that I wanted to bring up, but well, please keep going. Perfect. No, no, I was going to say, and, and Alan was one of those guys. He was, uh, he was a uh, TNA world champion at the time when I booked him to come in and wrestle with me. Um, uh, I use a lot of those TNA folks. Uh, a lot of the, the knockouts were, worked with me. Um, but yeah, if you wanted to kind of sort of satiate that, that TNA air Paris, AJ styles thing, you can go and watch There's a really good match and it's cool. Um, that match is, is so different from what we had done before because the, the matches in 2000, I was the veteran and I was sort of leading the way. Um, you know, I, I was calling everything and sort of dictating the, the pace and, and AJ was, was, you know, uh, good enough to, to kind of allow me to do that in 2010. Um, I mean, he was, he was the best wrestler in the world at that point. So, uh, and I was still out of shape and you know i could i could kind of go a little bit you know but he he uh he really pulled me along and, and carried me through that so what was really a, an excellent i think 27 28 minute match that i had no business having in 2010 with the world champion so that's uh that i owe him a, a lot for that that was a fun match that's really cool bro yeah that was in my notes uh but uh, there were a few other matches, and as you said, it's like a fantasy camp. Twelfth uh, yep. of December two thousand nine, the Steiner brothers defeat you and Bobby Hayes in fifteen minutes Oof. and five seconds. That is amazing, bro. Working with the Steiners. Oh yeah, I was. You want to talk about scared to death? Uh, <laughs> that, what I, we had booked Scott in the, the month before, um, and this is an independent show back before independent wrestling was really drawing very well. So I think we had a thousand people in the building for Bobby um, Hayes versus, versus Scott. And then we did a little, an angle at the end of it where I jump him and then he sets up bringing, you know, Rick in the next month. So I, I made the mistake of watching a ton of their Japanese stuff uh, between, <laughs> between that and that show. Um, so I went into it terrified right out of the gate. Um, but you know what, those guys uh, really treated me well. Um, a fun little tidbit from that. Uh, we did the spot where I back away from Scott and I'm kind of pushing myself back towards the corner and I crotch myself on the post. <laughs> uh, 
uh, just a cheesy little heel spot. And Scott kind of looks at me, grabs eye contact. He comes over and he stands on my hand. Like, I, I can't, he's not hurting me, but I, I can't go anywhere. And he looks at me, he looks at Rick, and he says, bite him. And Rick like, huh? And he says, bite him. So I'm like, oh, okay, we're doing this. And Rick bit me so hard on my on my my right butt cheek that i could have probably they could have uh taken his dental records from uh from from my flesh but uh at that point that he gives me that that sort of rick steiner kind of uh, grin and the laugh and all that anxiety i had for for the match and being in there with them was gone at that point i knew they weren't going to hurt me they were there to have a good time and and that's when i, I think they did that just to sort of ease my uh, ease my mind a little bit uh, just absolute incredible. Me and Bobby were standing in the ring. We had thirteen or fourteen hundred people in this little this old school gym, so it's really loud. Wow! And uh, welcome to the jungle. Welcome to the jungles playing. The lights are out. And I said, brother, do you realize we're standing here? Welcome to the jungles playing, and we're waiting on the Steiner brothers. I said, <laughs> dude, it's nineteen eighty nine, and I'm absolutely just giddy. It was just <laughs> so so cool, man. That is amazing, and you know, talk, talking about it being like a fantasy camp, you got you you got bitten on the ass by Rick Steiner, the dog face gremlin. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I, you, I didn't call that. I didn't call that spot. I didn't call <laughs> that spot, but, but uh, it popped the crowd. So <laughs> that's good, bro. Uh, so look, you've had a few in Cedar Town. You had a few interesting tag team partners that I had to bring up here. Uh, the second of January two thousand ten, you team with one. Diamond Dallas Page defeating Alexander the Great and Bobby Hayes. Uh, what's it, what was it like teaming with DDP at that point in his career? Oh, so man, so cool. He's one of those guys too. He, you know, he was the top guy, but Page was he was down to earth, even though he was you know bigger, bigger than uh, larger than life. I guess is what I'm going for at WCW. Um, was always still gracious, treated us well, super nice. Even though I got him arrested on television. Um, <laughs> I ruined his book signing. Um, it's just so fun, man. He's one of those guys that uh, it, it's it's a cool story. My mom, uh, her favorite wrestler was, was DDP, right? She loves DDP. She loves Booker T. Those are her two favorite guys. Um, so when I booked Paige, she's like, well, do you, do you think I'll meet him? you think I could meet him? And I'm like, well, I mean, it's my show. I'm, I'm sure we can. <laughs> and so he was super cool. He, he I think he gave her a book and, he, you know, t- took a half hour to spend just talking with her and, Oh, yeah, that's really nice. So, oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Just a class act. Um, and it's it's so cool. I mean, I was in the ring with Didi, Didi freaking P. How how neat is that, you know? Yeah. Just a re- wrestling fantasy camp, man. Absolutely, bro. And the fantasy camp continues on the 10th of uh, April 2010. You team with Kevin Nash to defeat Bobby yeah. Hayes and David Young in 16 minutes and 24 seconds. Uh, just want to throw that little tidbit on the time out there as well uh that's super nerdy of me but kevin nash is one of my favorites uh do you do you have any stories of working with kev uh just that one honestly i booked him through uh through bill barons bill every time i do anything bill's one of those guys uh he's one phone call or email from anybody in the business and so uh, and i and I, I i know i can trust bill so i booked kevin through bill um just doing some hot shot booking uh, really fun. Kevin actually drove up. I think he was in living in Daytona or somewhere at the time. Drove up uh, instead of flying. Just enjoyed the ride. He got there, and it was uh, it's pretty cool. He comes over to me. We do this little opening thing to, to sort of pop the crowd and get him in front of people. 
And uh, he comes over and he's like, hey, dude, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the hotel and check in real quick and stretch and do all that. Is that okay? And I said, yeah, absolutely, sir. You know, whatever you need to do. He said, ah, man, I'm just going to go drink some beer. Is that okay? <laughs> I said, absolutely, Kev, whatever you need, sir. So, you know, he kind of just unwound and then, and then had a lot of fun, man. Uh, on the, the videotape uh, from that one, me and David were doing some, like, just some ba- really, really basic chain wrestling. And you hear Kevin popping for it, uh, speaking a little carny and, and putting us over a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely fun, man. Kevin's one of those guys, man. He's uh, he uh, larger than life, wrestling, wrestling fantasy camp. Absolutely, Bray. Look right here. I mean, I'm a massive fan. I um, saw it. Yeah, absolutely. I look, and, and I'm going to put this out there. I, I, I made it. I put out a tweet uh, a little while ago. Um, and I tagged in Waltman, Nash, Scott Hall doesn't have uh, Twitter anymore, uh, and Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister. And I talked about how them, and, on, and also Hogan, how like their swagger and the way that they carried themselves in WCW and the NWO, I, I watched that and I was a shy kid. I was a bit of a dweeb, bit of a nerd. Um, but I started wearing the leather jackets and wearing the bandanas and I kind of carried myself the way that they used to. And, and of course, I uh, also said D Snyder taught me that false bravado will eventually become bravado. And uh, that's the reason why I eventually finally got laid for the first time. So I thanked them for it. And they all liked the tweet <laughs> and they retweeted it as well. So that was nice. Ah, uh, oh, super cool. <laughs> it's nice that, that my... Awesome. My little story of becoming a, a cool guy was because of them and they, they enjoyed it. So just wanted to put that out there. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, again, we're really close to the end here, but there's a loser leaves wrestling match with David Young on the 9th of <clears throat> July, 2016. He defeats you. Was this supposed to be your last match? But then once you think you're out, they yeah. pull me back in. Yep, absolutely. Uh, it got to that point where, you know, I had a bunch of concussions and I was uh, I was fat. I was really, really fat, to be honest with you. I was 249, 250 pounds. I um, mean, when I wrestled, I was 185 pounds. Um, so, yeah, I thought, man, you know what, let's because my little girl, she was, you know, she never really got to see me wrestle. I thought, hey, let's do this. And, and David, I trust. I know David's a pro and, and we've wrestled so many times that I know it'll be um, at least good enough to, to, to be acceptable for me as a last match, right? Uh, and, uh, of course, I beat him enough times that I had to put him over my, my <laughs> last match. So it was just that's the way it needed to be. So, so we did that match, and, and uh, I was completely, uh, utterly done, you know, with pro wrestling, had no desire to wrestle anymore. And then something else comes up, and, you know, it's like, eh, you know, maybe I could, maybe I could do one more. You know, I hate <laughs> to go back on my word, but it's, I guess it's pro wrestling and we can, we make up the rules as we go along. That's it, bro. And, uh, you know, I also noticed in my research, uh, 2020 and 2021, you, you have, you have actually wrestled this year. Is that correct for Lariato Pro? Yeah, um, the big LG himself will not let me die. He keeps trying to <laughs> trying to bring me back around. He uh, we connected uh, when he was in Japan, uh, and over our mutual love for uh, Ricky Morton says the Twitter that, that was going around at that time, the the fake Ricky Morton Twitter. <laughs> yeah, um, 
And so, yeah, we fast forward. And then Drew asked me to, uh, he actually had me do a cameo on the first talking shop of mania, which was so insane and fun and just such, a, I mean, those guys, man, they, they call themselves good brothers and it's true. I mean, they're just really a close group of friends, you know, and, and thankfully they let me kind of be a hanger on now. You know, they, they had me on the second one as well. I've heard I'll be on the third one, but I, I don't know for a fact until it happens. Um, but Gallows actually said, hey, man, can you come do this show for me? And I hadn't put on my I hadn't seen a wrestling ring in person in two years. OK. Um, and this is the first show they did post post COVID when stuff was starting to open back up. It was on a ball field uh, and I went and wrestled. Uh, I wrestled. It was me and Gallows first, which is I mean, who goes back and does an impact plus taping without ever even t- looking at their wrestling bag for two years? Um, <laughs> and then it turned into a tag and it turned into a tag match with uh, him and No Way Jose versus me and um, Tyson Dean. So I told my wife, I said, who who goes and wrestles somebody fresh off WWE? Well, two guys fresh off WWE TV and right on impact, you know, television um, with with ring rust just falling off of me as I'm walking to the ring. Right. Uh I said, I'm, I'm just, I'm either insane or uh, really think I'm good at this stuff sometimes. <laughs> but again, those guys treated me well and, and they took good care of me. So. That's cool, bro. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's great to see that every now and then you're still popping in and, and, and you know, get that little adrenaline rush when you get, get out into the ring. It's always, it's always a nice feeling. Um, you're still a young man, you know, it, what else ish. do you want to do? Ish. You know, I mean, ish, yeah. But what else do you want to do? Do you, do you still want to like uh, keep having matches here and there? Is there anything else you want to accomplish in wrestling, or is there anything else you just want to accomplish in life? Man, you know what? The, every day that I wake up, the only thing I want to do is be a good dad. I mean, that's the number one thing. Um, I had a great conversation with Goldilocks. I think you you spoke with her too. Yes. Um, you, you know it. it our kids is the one thing we have to get right. Right. I mean, in life I can, I can maybe not be the best husband, maybe not be the best son or brother or friend or whatever. But uh, if I'm not a good dad, then then I've really just failed those girls. And that's something I refuse to do. Um, I try to be a good husband and I try to be a good you know son and brother and, and friend and all that. But the one thing I will not do is be a, a bad dad. Um, I would, uh, Never really had a relationship, even to this day, to, with my real dad. So my stepdad raised me since I was about six years old, um, and and he showed me what be you know how how much uh, having that father figure in your life can can impact you, good or bad. You know, if you don't have that, you know, and some folks can maybe can get by with it without it or whatever. For me, um, he impacted me tremendously positively. So um, every day I wake up, man, I just I got, I got two little girls. I tell them every day how many you know probably 15 20 times how much i love them and how proud i am um and just how grateful i am that i'm their dad so that dude if i get that right you know if wrestling happens then great you know then if i can have some fun and and they think it's cool you know to come watch dad do it then sure i'll do it that's it that's kind of how it goes now if perry wants to see me wrestle or if somebody asks me to wrestle i always ask her i'll say you, you want dad to do it and if she says, yeah, then of course I'm going to do it because I'm, I'm an idiot. That's, that's why. <laughs> but, but yeah, man, just, uh, I mean, wrestling's fun. It's great to be around. I like to kind of be a hanger on and just sort of, or hanger, hanger around, I guess is a better way to put it. Um, you know, cause cool stuff happens and, and people are nice to my kiddos and it makes, it makes their day. So 
um, Preston's given me way more than it owed me or maybe that I deserved from it. So, yeah, I mean, if I, if I can just get this whole dad and husband, brother, friend, all that stuff figured out, then I'm doing okay. Absolutely, bro. I really appreciate hearing that. And it's nice to hear that, um, you know, uh, it, it is, it is a very important to have a, a strong male figure in your life when you're growing up. Um, as, and, you know, and let's not discount moms though, either, you know, of uh, course, my mom, of course. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want that to be a headline. You know, Air Paris says, uh, dads are more important or anything like that. <laughs> no. My mom was a single my mom was raising uh, three kids with, you know, on, on welfare until my, my stepdad came around. So it, it takes a, it takes a strong, strong family unit altogether as far as I'm concerned to, to make it right. But shoot, we're, Absolutely. we're over here doing it, doing it every day. That's it, bro. Uh, my mom, you know, raised kids on her own too and lived off $1,000 a year for a little while whilst she was studying to be a nurse. Wow. So uh, it might, it, this is the nineties though. So maybe a thousand dollars stretched a bit further than that, but that's, uh, it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. But I never noticed that we, we, we weren't, uh, doing well at all. So she'd done a very good job every Christmas. I still have presents under the tree. So, um, anyway, enough about me and my personal story. Uh, the last thing I want to ask before our final segment here is, is there anything that you want to plug or, or, or mention or, um, get out there to, Air Paris fans out there that want to know anything else about you? Uh, well, I mean, I always tell people that my Twitter is mainly just me retweeting funny stuff, Shane Helms posts. So you can find my Twitter at ShaneHelms.com um, and you'll save yourself having to see me retweet everything. You could just see it directly from Shane. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm on social media just under my real name. I think I'm Air Paris 33 on Twitter and, and Instagram. Uh, Mainly it's just rock and roll stuff and pictures of my kids or like the events like Larry Otto's running. That's main stuff I post. So uh, and maybe not the most exciting follow on social media, but uh, feel free to reach out and drop me a line or something. I'd love to hear from folks. Excellent, Brian. Everyone, please do. Uh, this is a great man right here that I'm speaking to. And, and Frank, I just wanted to bring you to this fantastic final segment that we have on the show it's called five second frenzy you have five seconds to answer each question even if you don't make the five seconds it's okay you have been a wrestler <laughs> most wrestlers take longer than five seconds to answer questions so <laughs> it's okay but all right first question air paris who is your favorite wrestler of all time john michaels without question um just the the best to ever to ever do it. Fantastic uh, choice there. The second question is your favorite opponent over the years. Um, Big Bill Dromo. No, no, I'm kidding. Um, AJ Styles, of course, <laughs> or with a close second of David Young. Very nice. And and uh, you know what? I want to take this chance to uh, just shout out to David Young because he was. I always thought that he was a tremendous wrestler and you know he wasn't like a, a smaller cruiserweight guy but they still put him in the x division because he could do it uh favorite match of your career um oh gosh christmas chaos 2000 um against a 
AJ maybe because that's one of the few times I beat him <laughs> or, <laughs> or we did a two out of really enjoyed um, after after WCW we came back and did a really fun one and and uh, wrestled each other so those, those both stick out and then I oh god 1996 in a town called White Georgia I wrestled David Young in a like a ladder match we had this legit 16 foot ladder just nuts man he threw me off the top we we got we fought on the top of a concession stand that was built into the building we so it was like you know 12 13 feet off the ground so we fight onto the top of that then he presses me over his head and dumps me off onto a table on the concrete floor absolutely just insanity i dove off of a basketball goal i climbed the, the ladder up onto the goal and then dive off of the goal on him that one was pretty fun um so that those those three definitely stick out <laughs> these are some these are some insane spots <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i don't recommend it <laughs> who are you guys the the sandman for a couple of tabs of lsd against sabu <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh it was just so dumb uh, so so dumb but amazing uh favorite book oh gosh um needful things probably by stephen king very good. Can't go past Stephen King. Uh, favorite TV show? Oh, gosh. Right now, I'm uh, probably Seinfeld, but right now I'm really stuck on Cheers. Cheers is so funny. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it'd have to be Seinfeld. Awesome, bro. Great choice there. One of my favorites as well. Uh, your favorite film? Uh, you'll laugh, but The Wizard of Oz. Uh, no. something about it. So, I will not laugh at that when I was a greatest. kid. I watched it on VHS from start to finish. I would rewind it, press play, and watch it again start to finish. <laughs> yep. I was obsessed with it. So, no, fantastic answer. Um, here's the big one. You love your music. Okay. You love your rock and roll. Favorite musical artist? Widespread Panic. They're, uh, you've probably never heard of them, but no. they sell out records everywhere. Okay, well, I'll have to check them out after this. Um, I, I trust you that they are someone decent. Uh, favorite food? Tacos. Just versatile. You, you can do tacos a hundred different ways, so that's an easy one. Excellent. And uh, Sabu's favorite food is also Mexican food. Uh, who was the last guy I interviewed? Uh, favorite place to eat on the road? Nice. Uh I got burned out on Cracker Barrel, so I'm gonna say Denny's. I'm I'm a cheap date or Waffle House, maybe one of those two. We always get Waffle House. Uh, we have had Cracker Barrel, and you know, Elix Skipper actually works with Cracker Barrel right now. I think he's like a like an area manager or something like that. I asked him to be on the show, but he said he didn't want to do interviews anymore. But I thought, since you said Cracker Barrel, you know Elix, I thought I'd just throw that out there. Love Elix. Uh, Third last one. Third last one. Okay. I don't know if you. I don't know if you're a drinker, but your favorite alcoholic beverage. Um, I like cold beer, just really cold beer. Um, and then hanging out with the talking shop guys, they've sort of got me <laughs> started on those hard seltzers a little bit, which is oh nice. Uh, yeah, those. Um, uh, trying to keep off all that weight that I dropped. So um, yeah, either really cold beer and. and I like those seltzers as well. 
Yeah, I like an ice cold beer myself. Obviously, in Australia, it's hard to keep it cold for very long. But uh, I have been delving into <laughs> the hard seltzers recently. Uh, you know, when you look, I'm just ranting now. But uh, we went to a couple of weddings recently, and I like to have a couple of drinks before the, a wedding because the ceremony can be, you know, the same thing over and over again. Seltzers, hard seltzers, sure. perfect. Because if you have a beer, you're all bloated and you need to yep. go to the toilet within 15 minutes. <laughs> Seltzers, perfect. You know, it's it's anyone out there, I'm just giving you that recommendation. Okay, second last one here on the show. Okay. It's the naughtiest one. It's your favorite female oh. body part. Oh, oh gosh. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, all of my wife. How about we say that? Just... The whole she's package. A, she's my favorite. She she's my favorite girl. So uh, I'll just I'll just stick with that. Lovely, bro. Lovely. We've had some pretty. When pretty... we're not, when we're not taping, I'll I'll tell you. I heard a comedian tell a joke that I I don't I don't want to attach my name or voice to because I have little girls. So okay, uh, but I I will I will recommend the comedian to you. Cool. Well, we'll talk off the air about that. Cool, bro. Um, and you know what? Nikita Koloff, I like his answer the most out of everyone. He says he likes the shape of a woman. I think that's a nice one. Um, the last one on the show, you avoided it the whole time. Favorite curse word. I don't know if you swear, but I'm Australian. You can fucking swear if you want, bro. That would be my favorite. Uh, I will. I will say though that I try to sort of uh, keep keep my public persona a little bit PG because again, my kids may try try to see stuff, so I don't want to want them to see dad blasting <laughs> off f bombs. But I can tell you, I've got an old I've got an old Jeep, and you know when I'm something happens and I slip or 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 something happens or something breaks, you can guarantee that that's the first one, first one <laughs> popping out. <laughs> and and usually multiple multiples of it so <laughs> awesome bro everyone's in their little box of anger in a car when you know driving a car <laughs> you know people act in a way that they wouldn't act in real life but uh bro Absolutely. i want to thank you so much for chatting with me this has been so much Absolutely. fun i really wanted to make this the ultimate air paris interview to go through each and every step of your time in wrestling and beyond and it means a lot to me and you know you said to me as i said to you before the interview you don't think that anyone cares about you in the wrestling world anymore but from the most isolated city here in the world perth western australia you have this guy right here that has been curious about you and your career for the last 20 years and i want you to know that i appreciate you and everything that you've done in the business and in life because you're doing a great thing by being a great father to your girls man i appreciate that and so uh, I guess now we got to figure out vacations. I have somewhere to stay uh, when I when I get down under, and and if you ever come to to Georgia, then you can you can crash at my place, man. Sounds good, bro. I, I plan on it once this whole pandemic craziness is over. I want to go over there. I want to finally see the United States. I, I went there when I was a little kid, but you know now I can go over there and and you know really 
see things and remember everything because the only thing I remember when I was a kid was being in the gift shop at Disneyland. Not not anything else in Disneyland, (laughs) just the gift shop. That's 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 cruel. But uh, (laughs) that's where that's where they get you, man. Those those mouse ears for forty bucks a pop. That's that's where that's where they get you. (laughs) And of course, bro, you come down under. I'm going to cook you a great Australian barbecue. That's for sure. Sounds good, dude. <laughs> well, thank you again, sir. Really appreciate your time. And, um, you know, uh, again, it's, this has just been a blast. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it, man. Anytime. Thank you, bro. And thank you, everyone out there for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury with my new friend, Air Paris. And we will see you guys next time. Thank you.